welcome to Conscious Pathways, the podcast where we explore the intersection of education and social justice through transformative conversations. I'm your host, Brittany Carey, and today I have a solo episode for you. We're going to be talking about social justice and really diving into deep to what social justice is, what does it mean, and how do we do it. Um, This is actually my first episode that I am publishing onto YouTube, so I'm doing the video podcast on YouTube, so I'm a little bit nervous, but stick with me, it'll only get better from here. And in my very first episode of the podcast, I talked a bit about my background and who I am and why I'm qualified to speak on this topic. Uh, So if you're more curious about a little bit more deeper dive into that, you can listen to that first episode wherever you find podcasts. And I will be doing just a short recap of that now. Um, So I have a background as an early childhood educator. I started teaching in preschool because my ultimate goal um, after many trials and tribulations and really trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I returned back to, I think I want to be a teacher. And I really wanted to teach kindergarten. So I started studying child development with the hopes that I would transition my Uh, community college classes to a four-year university and get my teaching credential and go through that process. Um, As I started teaching in a preschool, just to kind of get experience and to just learn the process of just working with young children, I fell in love with teaching preschool. I really loved everything about it. I loved working with the students. I loved everything that I was learning. And there's so much that goes into it than I was initially thinking. And I decided that I think I want to stick with this early childhood education thing. Then I found this degree program from Pacific Oaks, which was advocacy and social justice. And when I heard about that, it really changed course once again for me. And I decided to switch from the degree program that I was going to into this advocacy social justice program. I got a lot of questions from family members and friends about what is this program? What are you going to be studying? What is your plan? Like, what do you do with a degree in this? All very valid questions, actually. And I had been going to community college for a couple years at that point. So I had gotten pretty good at the the art of the BS. Um, I was very good at BSing. And I think I just kind of BSed my way through most of that conversations. So you know, oh, there's so many things I can do with this degree, or I would, you know, work in nonprofits, or I'll do this, and all these different things, and apparently I BS'd very well, because eventually people stop asking me the question, but I'll be honest with you, at the time, I don't think I knew what social justice was, and I don't think I fully had a great understanding on what I really wanted to do with the degree, but I did know that it was something that I felt very called to, and it was something that I felt very passionate about, even though, again, I don't think I could have defined what social justice meant at the time. Um, but now that I'm removed from my early my early kind of bachelor's program and I've gone out and got my master's and I think I'm pretty much done with school for now. Who knows what the future will hold for me? But I now have a very deep understanding of what social justice means and what it means in our society for social justice and what it means to look at injustices from that social justice lens. And so social justice, the way I generally explain it to people is that social justice is the theory and then the advocacy is the practice or social justice is the why and the what and the advocacy is the how. How do I do the thing? And so with social justice, it has these guiding principles, right, of respect, fairness and equal opportunities. 
And within social justice, there's this general commitment to dismantling barriers, to championing for diversity, and for individuals, regardless of their background, um, experiences, or ability status, to have equal opportunities and be treated with dignity. So those are these kind of main components of what social justice is. And social justice is kind of also this kind of broad umbrella term. So it's very similar to, say, studying in undergrad psychology. You learn a lot when you're studying psychology, and there's a lot that you can do with that, but it really depends on what you choose to specialize in after that. So same thing with social justice. It's very broad. You learn a lot within it, but it kind of depends on what you choose to specialize in, which is when what you'll kind of eventually be doing with that. So for me, I specifically specialized in education because that was what I had been working in. That's what I was most passionate about. And that's what made most sense for me and my path. And so studying education and studying social justice, I learned a lot about the history. I learned a lot about the systems. I learned a lot about the current state of education, kind of how we got here. And the area that I was most specifically concerned with was the school to prison pipeline. And so that also led me to discovering the um, going to my master's program in law, which is where I studied more juvenile justice and understanding that process and understanding the policies and how the school to prison pipeline kind of exists today and how we got here and how I can continue to advocate for better alternatives for youth within the education system. And so those were the big areas that I was passionate about and what I specifically specialized in and what I specifically studied. Um, but for the school to prison pipeline, I'll do a whole other episode specifically on that because it's a pretty big issue and I think it just deserves its own episode. So we won't dive too much into that today. We're just going to talk about social justice and some of those guiding principles. And I'll talk a little bit more about education and social justice as well. And we'll get into the school to prison pipeline another day. But for now, we have kind of in order to really understand how we get to those guiding principles in social justice, we really look at, we need to understand how we got here, what are our current systems in place, and how did we get to those current systems? And so one way we do that is by looking at power, privilege, and oppression. I'll start with power. So power is often can denote some really big emotions with it. So people might have really strong feelings about what power is, and that can really depend on your experience with power and how the systems in power have interacted with you. But in actuality, power itself is neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It is kind of purely just a thing. And the definition that I align closely with is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. He gave a speech in, I believe, the 1960s to sanitation workers in which he defined power as the ability to affect change and achieve purpose. And that's really important because that gives us that gives us an idea of what we use power for and why we use power, right? And power in itself, again, it's either a good thing or nor a bad thing, but it becomes really destructive when we view power as a finite resource, right? So if we're thinking of power like pizza in a pizza box, there's only so many slices of pizza. No matter how many times you cut it up, you can cut it up into as many small pieces as possible. There's really only so much pizza that you're going to get out of that one pizza. And so if we're looking at power in that way, that there's only a finite amount of it, then 
of course we're going to be trying to get that scarcity mindset and of course we're going to want to hoard it and of course we're going to want to use you know utilize power and kind of abuse power in these ways because we think that we need to have all of it before we lose it all but power is not a finite resource it's, it's an infinite resource it's an idea it's not quite a thing um it's you know how we use it yes but power itself is not quite a thing it's, it's an idea and so looking at ways especially using a social justice framework again going back to those guiding principles how then do we utilize power this ability to affect change and achieve purpose how do we use that in ways that is dignifying for people in ways that promotes equal opportunities in ways that champions for diversity in ways that dismantles those barriers how are we using that in a way in those ways and we're kind of going back to that social justice framework and the social justice ideas and so power plays a big role in our society as we see it and so understanding how power exists right so people who tend to have the most power in our society or american society tend to have the most social capital so they have the most resources whether that's um, money, whether that's knowing people, whether that's having just direct access to more resources and more opportunities, right? That is one way that people get power. Um, and people also get power in a number of different ways as well. So really looking at how do people achieve, how do people get this power and what is it being used for? And of course, with that social justice framework, we really want to move away from power over people, right? Utilizing that power over someone. I have the power. I'm the decision-making body here. And you must listen to me because I'm holding all the pizza slices rather than we want to shift that to power with people. And so looking at what are those equal opportunities, whose voices are being heard, who needs to be elevated, really looking at that from this very social point of view, which is kind of the deepest point of social justice, right? At the, at the end of the day, social justice is a social science. It has to do with people and patterns. And so we're looking at power, we're looking at people, and we're looking at patterns. Another element that we look at in social justice is privilege. So privilege is often these unearned advantages or disadvantages that are kind of assigned to us. Um, we don't typically choose them. They just kind of happen. And oftentimes privilege is invisible to the people who have that privilege. Privilege is this unearned structural and systemic advantages that people are often gain through their social identities. And so social identities, we can really break down identity into two separate sections. So you have your social identity and your personal identity. Personal identities are things like your name, your age, your specific space in the family, whether you're the older sibling or the younger sibling, your talents and interests, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you like drawing, you love to read, you're really good at sports. These are all things that contribute to your personal identity and our personal identity gives us a sense of individuality right there, gives us the things that kind of make us who we are. And then you have your social identities. So our social identities are things like your race, ethnicity, culture, language, um, your gender, economic sta status, and these are things that are typically assigned to us. Um, so it's not something that we necessarily in the beginning chose. Um, these are things like that can shift over time, but typically these things are assigned to us. And for social identities, they are 
often things that give us a sense of community and belonging. They help us connect with other people within our group. And they also tend to carry a lot more legal definitions and limitations and rules policies. So these are really important to also pay attention to because of the weight that sometimes these things carry and hold. And so when we're talking about privileges and our social identities, again, these are things that are assigned to us, right? And you can either benefit from or it's a disadvantage. And it often it's invisible. So we're not really aware of it unless you need to be aware of it or unless you're actively working on it. And so I find myself con consistently trying to work on these privileges that I have, right? And so for me, I'm an able-bodied person. And so the way that I navigate our current society is made for an able-bodied person like me. So when I want to take an international flight, I got to worry about, you know, the flight, oh, my packing, I got to worry about where I'm going to stay when I get there. But that's pretty much it um, in terms of traveling, where if I were a person in a disabled body, there would be a, a few more things that I would need to consider. You know, if I have a mobility device, if I have a wheelchair, how am I going to get there? And the place is the place that I'm going to, is it going to be able to handle that wheelchair? Um, you know, even just everyday things, if I wanted to take a ride service or a Lyft or an Uber, I could just call one and I don't have to do anything extra to get to that. Whereas if I had, you know, a disability, there might be a couple extra things that I need to do in order to make that work for me, right? So right now, I have the privilege of living in a society that is built for someone who has an able-bodied, and I have the privilege of being an able-bodied person, right? And so it doesn't necessarily mean that I am a bad person because I am able-bodied. I did not choose to be able-bodied, right? It just means that I do have some advantages that I did not earn, that I did not ask for, and I do have them. And so it's important that I am aware of these, especially when I'm working in education and working with students, because there are things that I don't have to navigate and I don't have to think about, but my students do have to navigate and do have to think about, right? And so I am a Black woman. And so as a Black woman, there are some things that I do have disadvantages of, right? And so going back to my example of wanting to travel, I am a little bit more conscious about when I do travel, especially if I'm doing solo travel, I want to be sure that the place I'm going to is going to be safe for me to exist in the body that I exist in, right? And so that's just an additional thing that I am aware of and that I want to be cognizant of and think about. And there's some people in within my social circles who don't have to think about those things, right? And so when you're on the other side, right, as when you have the privilege, you're not really thinking about it, you're not really engaging in it with it in the same way. But then when you're on the other side and you're disadvantaged by it, it's it's very evident, it's very in your face, and it's very, um, you know, it, you can't really ignore it. it it's just that it's a part of your reality and a part of your everyday. Um, so specifically, when we're talking about social justice and education, identifying, one, where our power comes from and how that impacts our students is important. But also, as an educator, it's important that I'm aware of where my privileges are and how that's showing up in my work, right? So another thing that we're looking at within social justice education is systems of oppression. So systems of oppression really highlight or call attention to these systemic issues, organized patterns of, of mistreatment within a society, 
right? And so specifically looking at not just oppression, but systems of oppression, right? It's really drawing attention to what systems are in place that are actively perpetuating the oppression of other people. So with systems of oppression, we have the four eyes of oppression. So that's ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. So for ideological, that's the ideas that a society has about certain groups. Again, going back to primarily, that's gonna go back to your social identities. So within a society, who is the dominant group and who is you know, the inferior group? And what ideas does the dominant group have about the inferior group? So typically speaking, our dominant group will have Typically speaking, the dominant group will have more positive ideas attributed to them as compared to the group that's kind of deemed more inferior. So the dominant group may have views of, you know, the dominant group is stronger, more intelligent, more deserving. They are normal, right? They are the kind of baseline for, you know, the human bestness, I guess. And for the inferior group, it's kind of the opposite is attributed to that group. So they are less deserving. They are stupid, less intelligent, weak, abnormal, right? There is just something inherently wrong about this group. And these things aren't always explicitly stated. So it's not like a child is born and the parents are, hey, you're really smart and strong and capable and amazing and you deserve everything that comes to you. But you see that kid over there? Not that kid. That kid is weak. That kid is inferior. We don't talk to that kid. That's not necessarily what's actually happening. Um, but these ideas about these different groups are perpetuated through so many different aspects of a society, which leads us to institutional oppression. So there are many different kinds of institutions. So like the government's an institution, healthcare, hospitals are an institution, education is an institution, and the media is also an institution among many other institutions that we have within a society or, or American society specifically too. And so within those, the ideologies that we have about different groups also seeps into how institutions are going to interact with people. So specifically in education, right, if I, you know, if we have these ideas about young children that they are unintelligent, that they are less deserving, that they are socially depraved, right? If we have these ideas about a group, our institutions are going to then act accordingly within that. So institutionalized oppression is the systemic mistreatment of people within social identity groups. So um, examples of institutions could be uh, the government's an institution, um, healthcare or hospitals are an institution, our education system's an institution, even the media is an institution. So these are all things that are part of our overall like kind of governing systems and interact with people as kind of a larger group. So with education, if our ideas of children or certain groups of children, right, are that some children are inherently less. So if our ideas of children are that some children are inherently less intelligent, inherently less deserving, 
um, weak, hardworking, if that is the idea that is going into um, certain children and certain groups, right, that's going to interact how these systems interact with them and what resources are afforded to these students, right? So if we look at low-income schools, low-income schools tend to be less resourced and have less opportunities and have less um, technology, right? And that goes into you know, like the schools are funded by, you know, the zip codes and funded by, you know, the houses around them, right? And so if you're in a low-income neighborhood, you're going to have low-income schools and they're not going to have as much resources and opportunities as schools in kind of a more affluent area, right? And so that is by design. That didn't happen by accident, right? That is by design. And so looking at how, how our schools are funded is a social justice issue because that is then going to impact the quality of the education that these students are actually getting, right? You can have the best teachers in the world, but if you don't have access to resources, it's going to make your job a lot harder. Um, and if your classrooms are constantly um, overflowing with students, or they're constantly, you have too many students and not enough adults in the room, you're, it's going to impact the quality of education you're going to be able to do. You could be the most passionate person in the world, but without those things, it's going to make your job a whole lot harder than it really needs to be. So looking at what is designed and what is what structures are designed and how are they designed really is important in looking at institutional oppression. And then we go to um, and then we go to interpersonal oppression. So that is interactions between people themselves, right? So not just the institutions, but the people themselves. So again, going back to education, the interactions between a teacher and a student are those inter interactive or interpersonal oppression. So again, going back to those ideologies, if the ideology is that certain students are less intelligent and certain students are less deserving and certain students are less hardworking, if I have that genuine thought about some of my students, why would I waste my time putting so much thought and effort into teaching them if I can just do that with the students who I perceive to be hardworking and intelligent, right? And so that's some of the interactions that we do start seeing, especially with students, black and brown students, um, Hispanic Latinx students. We see that with native students, indigenous students, students with disabilities, LGBTQ students, right? Students with these more marginalized identities tend to be on the receiving end of these more negative attributes. And when we have that about our students, what we're basically saying from the very inception of your educational career, your educational journey, we're saying that you're just not good enough. You never will be good enough, right? And that leads us to our internalized oppression. There's only so many times that I can tell you that you're not good enough, that you will never be successful, that you are inherently bad or wrong, and your your family and your culture and your background is inherently bad and wrong. There's only so much of that that I can tell you before you start to internalize that, right? And so that happens with a lot of these students from the very inception of their educational journey. You know, these young students, especially when we're looking at, you know, discipline practices for young students, if you're constantly being excluded from the school, if you're being suspended constantly, expelled constantly, and told often enough that you're not a part of this community, then yeah, yeah, that, that's going to sink in at some point unless you have you know, other positive associations with other positive adults. But we see that. And, you know, I'll dive a little bit more into that when we talk about the school to prison pipeline and what those outcomes look like. But when we go back to the ideologies, 
of oppression, they're not really grounded in any sort of reality. They're just ideas. So these ideologies that because I, because of this color of my skin, I am inherently better or because of my gender or because of my you know gender identity, I am inherently better. That's not grounded in any sort of science, reality, realness. It's just an idea, right? Um, and we look at, again, power and privilege, who has access to social capital and resources and opportunities and all these things that go into power, who has access to these privileges, who makes these rules for what privileges are, you know, advantages and disadvantages. And also looking at then how does that feed into oppressive systems and looking at how our systems overall are impacting that, how that impacts the institutions, the individuals, and then of course, that individual, right? So that one, that person, I always call this like the Othello context complex. I'm kind of a Shakespeare nerd. I love Shakespeare. <laughs> and with Othello, with that play, the whole process is Othello is this really well-decorated general, very well-loved, charismatic, good at what he does. Despite that, he has the audacity to be a black man. I know, how dare he? And because of that, he's also told that you are violent. You are this, you are that. And he's constantly told these different things, even though he clearly is not those things. And he has demonstrated time after time after time that he is none of those things. He is being told time after time after time that, yeah, you are. This is the way that you are because the way you look, this is how your people are. This is what you are. And so eventually in the end, we see it does come to get him. It becomes internalized and he does something that is really outside of his character and not something that he really probably would have done if he was not told over and over and over again that this is who you are. And this happens a lot with our students. This happens a lot with black and brown students and students of marginalized identities is that you're told over and over and over again that you're not good enough, that you're not worth anything. And then, well, yeah, it's going to become internalized and you're going to think that about yourself and you're going to think that about others as well. So these systems of oppression are really, really important for us to get an idea of where we are, how we got here, and what do we do about it. So when we look at social justice and we're using social justice as a framework for how we approach or how we reimagine education, there's a model that was proposed by a Brazilian advocate and educator, Paulo Freire, and that's the banking model of education. So right now, our traditional model of education takes in a lot of these aspects that I've been talking about today. So it's kind of a power over model. You know, you walk in, the teacher is the all being, all seeing, all knowing, you know, being of knowledge. And the students are expected to, you know, sit there and be recipients of that knowledge, right? So that's that banking model, right? So I am you know, the big being, and I'm going to hand out knowledge to you and you're expected to be gracious and to take it and to love it. And that's what it is, right? You're not really, you're not really supposed to be an active participant in your learning or education. You're just kind of receiving education and then you go off and then you do the thing. Whereas you kind of transform that and you look at a problem posing model of education. And that is something where we're actually looking at what's happening in our society today. And it's really aligned with what we now see is project-based learning. So looking at what's the major question that we're looking at and then how can we really actively work through that and learn through kind of experiential ways 
obviously there's ways there's things within history and education that should not be learned experientially right we shouldn't be having you know children learn about the holocaust by like you know doing certain things with each other like that's not the way we're going to learn about it but there are ways that we can pose questions and that we can ask questions um and we can influence the students to think critically about the things that we're trying to learn and it's a very intentional way of doing that because it's my what is my intention for them learning this what is the goal what do i want them to walk away with with this knowledge for and so in that model students are supposed to ask questions they're supposed to be active participants in their learning and you know with the teacher again that power with working with that adult to help them navigate through their educational journey and through that it really does align with more social justice models because then we can start asking questions about where follow follow the power where does the power begin and how did it get here and who has that and what does that look like looking at privileges looking at the systems at play currently and how that plays into what people are dealing with especially when it comes to injustices today right and so you know education and social justice really do go hand in hand with each other they they work they work really well together i would say and that's something that i'm super passionate about and of course when i do a more deeper dive into that we'll get there today was just a explanation into social justice and what it is just a very quick little chat um, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this. In the next couple of weeks, I'll have a new episode on the school to prison pipeline. So a bigger deep dive onto that. And then we'll dive into a little bit more on education models and social justice and how we get there. I also have some really great guests lined up for over the next, you know, for the rest of 2023. So look out for that. We'll be talking a little more about that intersection of education and social justice. I want to thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Conscious Pathways. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, rate it wherever you get your podcast. Um, please share it with anyone who might be interested in this topic. It really does help the podcast to continue to grow. And I will be back next week for more transformative conversations in education. Bye!